When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want curls but can't seem to find a product that enhances your natural hair texture? Look no further. The Infinity Pro by Conair Natural Texture Styling System is perfect for you. Its unique vented diffuser attachment perfects and protects your natural curl by circulating airflow instead of concentrating in one spot. The result? Reduced frizz and more volume in less time. Treat yourself and your hair by searching Conair Natural Texture on Amazon.com to bring out your best texture with the Infinity Pro Natural Texture Styling System today. And what's up? Welcome in GC Live here Monday episode of the show. He is Chris Clark. I am Wes Mitchell. Appreciate you joining us uh, as you most of you do every single day, it seems like. So we appreciate the support. As always, and we appreciate the support of our good buddy Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network, our presenting sponsor here on GC Live uh, for going on, shoot, over nine months now. So we appreciate Clint and his consistent support of the show. 803-771-6933 is how you can get in touch with Clint. The NMLS number is 71597. Email address chammond at mortgagenetwork.com. Again, as we tell you every single day, uh, not asking you to go buy a home if you don't need one, but if you are in that market, if you are thinking about buying a new house, or maybe you're just thinking about refinancing, saving some money, if that's already something that's part of your conversation with you and the wifey, give Clint a shout, and I promise you he can walk you through what is sometimes a very scary process. First time home buyer, buyer you want somebody that can make it easy, Clint is your guy. Um, speaking of making it easy, not easy treading, Chris, for anyone trying to play offensive football against the Georgia Bulldogs. South Carolina losing 40-13 to 13 over the weekend in Athens. And, Chris, I, I, I dare say a game that sort of played out um, – Maybe about like you would think on paper. I, you know, I know we we talked throughout the week about you know the ifs. If this happens, if that happens, you you know we even talked about if these teams play ten times, you know Georgia wins probably eight or nine of them maybe. Well, this game this time, you know, two two years ago, the ball bounced and you got maybe the like one or two times where things just went went wonky and South Carolina won the game. Obviously, well. I kind of feel like against a, a team that's just absolutely loaded, which Georgia is, ultimately the result was kind of about what you would expect. Most times these played these teams would play. I mean, were there opportunities maybe for Georgia to score more? Yes. Were there opportunities for South Carolina to maybe score more and make it a little bit closer game? Obviously. Um, you know, red zone offense, not anytime your red zone offense is not good and you're the underdog. It's going to be really hard to pull off a win when you're that big of an underdog. But um, for the most part, it kind of played out how it would probably play out on paper, in my opinion. 
Yeah, you're right. And I think Wes was trying to remember the score I predicted. And and by the way, this is no back pat. I missed the score probably more than I get it, you know, but I think I had 31-13. And so I say that to illustrate the point of this was one of those games that played out how many people thought. And a lot of the things that we talked about during the week as either things that we expected to see or things that if they happened could make things go sideways for South Carolina, those were things we saw. So, for instance, we knew, number one, that it was going to be pretty difficult, not pretty, very difficult for South Carolina to move the ball against this Georgia team, particularly because of the defensive front. We saw that, right? And we're going to dive into these issues and, and kind of zoom in to, I'm sure, Wes on the show, the offensive line, the run game, all those things. Even if there were no procedural issues, if South Carolina had played 100% assignment football, that Georgia defensive front is so good that they're going to cause you a bunch of issues, right? They're going to win one-on-one battles. Um, it's still going to be tough sledding, right? Um, one thing that I said going in that was a key for South Carolina was they had to create explosive plays to be able to score, to move the ball consistently. We saw on their couple scoring drives, there were three of them, right? Um, one of them, 61-yard pass to Josh Van early in the game from Zeb Nolan, eventually set up a field goal. Then we saw – on the long touchdown of the game, that came on a 36-yard pass to Josh Van. Okay, so that was a score. And the other one came off an interception. And Jalen Foster intercepted the ball. They end up getting a field goal. So those were things that we anticipated, right? Hard to move the ball, um, need some explosives to be able to score. And then I think the question, Wes, was Georgia's offense versus South Carolina's defense. That was a bigger question of how was that going to work out and the, the the concern, I think, going in was that South Carolina's secondary, which played very well, probably better than anticipated in weeks one and two, would be exposed in some ways by Georgia because they'd be able to be balanced more so than the first couple of teams. And they had tons of talent, right, on, on that team. And that was the case. You know, we saw a couple of long touchdown plays. We saw Georgia was really, really good on third down. And then last lastly, Wes, something that we talked about, hey, South Carolina has to avoid these things in order to uh, to spring a huge upset. We talked about how they had to avoid procedural things. They had to play clean football. They had to be good in the red zone, had to avoid turnovers. And we saw, you know, a lot of those issues come up on Saturday night, which exacerbated the situation. So, Chris, I, I think um, – and we're, we're going to have a discussion about the offensive line. I hope – I hope we can have a nuanced discussion about the offensive line. Because um, the, the the Twitter take right now is, oh, the offensive line sucks. Um, and it, it's just like a, a one-note take. Whereas I, I think watching the game on Saturday, there there's a lot of things to take away. And, and, and don't get me wrong, there were, there were some very bad things to take away. Um, on the offensive line, but there are also some things um, that that are very still very correctable, I, I think, on the offensive line as well. And you know, Chris, one thing we talked about that is it's going to be very possible that there was improvement on the offensive line from last week into this past Saturday, and that it maybe just was not at all noticeable because of the team you're playing. So. There, um, there, there is no one issue 
with the offensive line at this point, in my opinion. There's no one just if they fix this, it's fixed uh, issue, which is good and bad. Um, if it was one thing, maybe you just drill down on that and, and fix it. But I, I think it's a multi-pronged issue on, on the offensive line. Um, first of all, I will say this, man. If you're a South Carolina fan and you're and you're sort of looking for – I don't know necessarily if the blueprint is the word – but if you're looking for an example of what an SEC East champion football team looks like right now in, in the year 2021, and in my opinion, what a college football playoff team looks like, you saw it for 60 minutes against your team on Saturday, in my opinion. That is a that's as an elite of a front seven as you're gonna find. And then I think it's a good enough secondary with that front seven in front of them, and a good enough offense. When you look at their backs, you look at the size of their offensive line with Daniels at quarterback and the fact that I assume they're going to get some of their weapons back at some point this year. To me, Chris, that that's an SEC championship quality team. Like, If you want to know what it looks like, that, that, that was it. So I, I will start with that. You some, Sometimes – it, you know, not that it's ever like good to, to lose 40 to 13, but it it does give you that the first two teams South Carolina played could not expose weaknesses the way Georgia did. Georgia is going to put it all out there for you. You know, you know, you know where the issues are at, at this point. So, yep. my, my first thing, my biggest takeaway was really more about South Carolina, is more about Georgia and the size plus speed combination that they had, Chris, across the board. Yeah, no doubt. And, and look, we're going to dive into South Carolina's issues that they're going to have to correct going forward. But again, if South Carolina had played a very clean game, no procedural penalties, um, you know, offensive line and the communication and the offensive flow was better, all those things, assignment football, all those things. In my opinion, they still lose this game. Now, was it by 27? Probably not, you know, because you would have cleaned up some of those things, the red zone issues. But this team, I've had I've had multiple people, Wes, who have, have watched the game, the college football game, have been involved in it, in it, or you know, coached in it, played in it, whatever, for a long time. That, that think this is the best defense they've seen. Whether or not that ends up playing out the rest of the year, we'll see. You know, because Georgia will have some other tests this season. Florida, for instance, that'll be, you know, a really good one. Eventually they'll meet Alabama probably, right? And we'll see. But this is a great team. And, and so, yes, we'll dive into South Carolina's issues. There's plenty. But let's talk about Georgia some, which you've been doing. Here's here's a stat I rolled out, West this morning, right? We'll bring this up about just how talented Georgia's team is. Now, this is on paper talent, right? Not everything, but if you recruit in the top five, top ten, especially in that top five, year after year after year after year, it's going to be very difficult to not be an elite team. That's just how it is because that means you're recruiting guys that everybody wants that are no-brainer type prospects, right? So here's what we got. Starters for Georgia Saturday night, starters only, 22 guys not counting special teams, offense, defense. Five former five stars, five 
additional former top 100 four stars, and then nine additional lowly regular four stars. And of course, some of those West ranked in the top 250 in the country. So from 101 to 250 or even some of the four stars that are below that. So that is, that's only three of their starters that were ranked as three stars. Okay. When you go beyond that, Wes, in the game, as far as the players that played, not started, but just played for total, 10 five stars, nine former top 100 players, and then 22 additional four-star prospects. So that's what's 19 plus. That's 41 guys that were four stars or higher. 81% of the players that took snaps in the game, four stars or higher, Wes. And that includes actually special teams. So one of their specialists, either the kicker or punter, is a walk-on former. They played two snappers that were walk-ons. They played a walk-on DB, walk-on receiver. 81%, four stars or more. So – this team is absolutely loaded. I mean, tip more so than some of the best teams uh, that we've seen South Carolina play since we've been doing this. Yeah, that. So that's the uh, the old blue chip ratio off the charts, and I, I dare say there is uh, there are very few teams in the entire country that have even close to that as far as a, a, a blue chip ratio goes. So, all right, everyone, just judging by the chat, the O-line is going to be the yes. uh, the top conversation today, and probably rightfully so, Chris. I mean, that, that's what's on everyone's mind. And you can already tell that it is a – there are a multitude of things that are sort of involved in, in this conversation because of the number of different answers I've seen already on the chat what the issue is so you know I, I would say first and foremost there were some times when that probably get forgotten where South Carolina appeared for the most part to be doing what they were supposed to do up front as far as the protection or uh, run call as far as how it's designed and they literally just got beat. Um, those plays don't stand out in our minds as much as sort of the ones where it is just a clear and obvious communication issue. And sometimes, Chris, it looked to me, you know, you hear you hear Satterfield, I think, or Beamer talk about like getting to a landmark for an offensive line. Sometimes when you're when you're running like a zone play and you're trying to get to a spot or even a gap scheme where you're um, pulling a guy. Sometimes your opponent is just so quick and powerful that they get there before you. I noticed that happen at times. Now, when you see an offensive lineman, essentially, uh, I know it was referenced several times, Chris, when an offensive lineman puts his hand on a guy, um, it's not – and just puts his hand and moves to somebody else. It's not that he did not – he just chose not to block the guy. It's not an effort thing. That is very clearly that this offensive lineman thought that guy was being passed on to someone else. So in when we're watching the game, unless you have a really just uh, 
strong understanding of O-line play. And even then, it's probably difficult to tell without being in the room. We don't know exactly from a case-to-case basis who it's on in those occasions. Is it on the quarterback for not getting it to them? Is it on the offensive line coach and the rest of the offensive coaches for not explaining it better? Is it on the guy who passed the guy off? Or is it on the guy who should have been blocking him after the guy was passed off? So there are times when when you see that guy just not block that guy. Um, like I, I really – somebody said it's an effort issue. I don't think it was really an effort issue at all for these guys. It's um, – specifically those plays, it is that someone was not comfortable in that given scenario with what they were supposed to be doing. It's a missed assignment uh, is what it is. And the problem with those, Chris, is that they are very glaring. And we may not know exactly who it was on, but they just they look really bad when they happen. Yep. So to me, the the very first – the, the first step, you're never going to eliminate those because they do happen. When they happen as much as South Carolina saw on Saturday, that's when you say that there's got to be something done to try and slow try and slow down the, the number of times those happen in a given game. And to me, Chris, some, some of the issues, you know, even with getting lined up at times, getting the play in at times, getting the play from sideline to the quarterback, you know, just – you had guys line up wrong, and, ha- and you know you saw a teammate going, no, 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 you're on the other side. You're on the other side. To me, it looked like a team that is three games into learning a new scheme. Like it still looked like the guys are kind of getting it, but that it has not at times completely clicked in yet. Would you agree with that? Yes, and, and I think uh... – Especially with O-line play, I think it's probably the most complex thing to dissect, you know, when you're talking about offense and, and probably even just in the game of football in general because, um, you know, the offensive line, there's just so many complexities to it. First of all, it's five guys, and there's individual play, but then at the same time they're all working in tandem, and it depends on what the play call is, what the scheme is. And it depends on a variety of other factors too, right? Um, a team can have a subpar offensive line, average offensive line, and, and a great running back or running backs, and your rushing statistics will be pretty good, you know? Uh, you could have a great offensive line, and if your running back has absolutely no vision, trips over his own feet and falls, you're not you're not going to look very good. So, But – an even bigger factor, and this this is, I think, the one that applies to South Carolina is kind of what are you doing offensively and then the flow of the game, what's happening in the game. So to give you a couple examples, Shane Beamer referenced after the ECU game that there was at least a time or maybe a couple times where an ECU uh, def- defense had a free rusher to the quarterback. And he said to the layman – you would look at it and go, the O-line stinks. Either they're not trying, uh, they don't know what to do, they're incompetent, what it, whatever it may be. There could be any number of things you could say. So you got to dive into, well, well, what happened? And in that instance that Beamer came up with, that he was giving an example, uh, he said that the protection had been slid by the quarterback, guessing a pressure for the defense, and basically it was slid the wrong way. You guess wrong. 
So your offensive line in that instance is doing what they were told to do. Now it happens so happens that what they're supposed to do on that play allows a free rusher. So it ends up looking bad, but the context is important. I think it is what the point is. There were instances against Georgia. You could pick out any number of things, probably all the different things that have been said, except for effort. I, I will say that one. You, you could say, but which given play did it happen on? There's other instances in the Georgia game where, you know, you could see communication was an issue. For So, for example, if you have a check at the line, well, if you communicate it to the O-line but not the receivers, you're going to have a problem. If you communicate it to the backs or the receivers and not an offensive lineman, you're going to have a problem there because they may be blocking the total wrong play. So when you see some of the things that we saw on the broadcast or live, if you were there with players looking for somebody to block, you do have to bear in mind, okay, what, what is the play? What were they supposed to be doing? So Wes, I think that's important to keep in mind. Now that doesn't solve the actual issue of how do you fix it? Right. Because for South Carolina, that's the most important thing. Ultimately, nobody wants to hear. I mean, a lot of people like to hear what's actually happening. Some people just want to yell about it and that's cool too. How do you fix it? So I think that's what South Carolina staff has to come up with. Shane Beamer has alluded to it and we know it's going to be important down the stretch. What do you do to kind of fix some of the disconnect problems that we've seen. And Chris, I think that goes back to finding exactly what these guys are good at, what they're comfortable with. Um, you can use a bunch of different words for that. Identity is the overused word, but, but, it, you know, in, in some ways, maybe, you know, maybe it, it has, um, you, you know, maybe there's something to that. You, you got to get it. You got to get it down to what these guys are comfortable with. And, uh, and then go from there because, you know, I think the first couple of games we talked about moving forward, South Carolina needed to diversify their running game a little bit. I think they did that against Georgia. There there were a lot of different run calls, run schemes. It wasn't just the same few plays. You know, there were different run calls made, but for whatever reason, they, uh, you know, they, they were not executed the way they needed to be. And, you know, I, Chris, I'll go back to last year. South Carolina did, you know, they had a 1,000-yard rusher. They they had a they had a lot of success in the running game. They also had a lot of negative plays in the running game. We've talked about that before. This was the most, I I, I believe even statistically, looking back to what SEC Statcat had last year, one of the most explosive running games, if not the most explosive running game in the SEC. But also, the reverse end of that, one of the most um, negative yardaged. Um, for lack of a better way to say it, running games in the SEC as well. So there was a lot of hit or miss from this offensive line last year, and they had problems in pass pro last year as well. Um, you've seen them, you know, you, you can get into is it scheme, communication, play calling, personnel, whatever. You, you've seen them try to tweak on the personnel end. Ja'Kai Moore, and, you know, we, we were on to that one, by the way, Chris. Remember when we were like, I wonder if Ja'Kai Moore – is going to get a look at left tackle at some point. He did. Rashawn Lee has been getting some looks at left guard. They are trying to find it from a personnel standpoint as well. They're trying to tweak the scheme, I'm sure. 
there, there's a lot of things that, that are at play to try to fix this thing. Um, what it, what actually happens to, to, to get you there is a conversation for people, I think in the building, but um, to me, this, and you know, Beamer said it, Chris, this is a massive week. And he, he said that on a teleconference. And then I think when, when he was asked to, to elaborate on that, he sort of, you know, every week's a massive week type thing. Um, he, he didn't like go all into it, but I think we all knew what he meant. I mean, every game, every game is the same. We all know that coach speak, every game matters the exact equal amount, but for one, three and one going into Troy game is completely different conversation than two and two going into that Troy game. And for two, this is a Kentucky team that is all of a sudden, I believe, very beatable at home for South Carolina. And this is a Kentucky defensive front that has lost some of those guys that were really, really excellent up front um, to the NFL in the last couple of years. And Kentucky, you know, I watched some of that Chattanooga game, Chris. They struggled to stop the run. Um. Your boy, uh, Aleem Ford from West Florence, big game for him. Struggle to stop the run. And throughout the year, I, I was looking at um, – we're going we're gonna to talk to uh, to Justin Rowland from the Kentucky side at some point this week. He was pointing out on Twitter that they have struggled to get to the quarterback. So this past week, you can explain some things away because of the opponent. Mm-hmm. The first couple of weeks, we can explain it away that, hey, they're putting eight in the box and going cover zero – blitzing seven guys at you or something insane. This week, you have to start to see progress from the South Carolina offensive front, in my opinion. Yeah, and that is why it's such a massive week. You know, the opponent notwithstanding, I got back to the point that you said earlier, Georgia exposed some of those things, but now it's kind of all laid bare for you to see. Hey, sometimes the plays weren't coming in fast enough. Sometimes there were issues at the line of scrimmage before the play. Sometimes there are certainly issues after the play or during the play, right? Um, those things now you see more and more. And so it's a massive game for the season. It's also a massive week in preparation because now is a great time if you're going to make some tweaks to make them because because this week's so important. Um, you've got a three-game sample. You've really – now you've been able to see what the team has looked like, you know, when the live bullets are firing. And there have been some things in all phases of the game, but particularly on offense, that you have to get addressed. I, here, here's one thing I've been thinking about, Wes, and I, I'm not, first of all, going to turn this show into a relitigation of last season. But it was pointed out to me earlier today South Carolina had a 1,000-yard rusher last season with some of the same personnel up front on the offensive line. Now, different scheme, different year, different coaching staff, all those. Most of the same person. Most of the same. Most of the same. Okay. So, and then some of those players that, you know, are are a year older now, et cetera. So, it's not as if they're incapable of blocking successfully. Negative plays last year, notwithstanding, Wes, this team had one of the highest at one time. I had the highest pre uh, pre contact run blocking grades in the in the conference, right? So they're capable of doing these things. Now a lot of different factors can change whether or not it actually happens this year. 
but that's why there's a lot of excitement about the run game, you know, coming into the season and particularly in light of the running backs. But Colin Hill last year, again, we're not going to relitigate Colin Hill, his merits, his downfall, whatever. What we do know is last year, because he knew, because he was experienced and knew this new Mike Bobo's offense, they often would send him uh, from the huddle or sideline, wherever he came from, they would send two plays in at once. So if they knew they were going to run the ball, they could double call something and he would take a look at the defense and call. And normally they would get in a pretty good play, you know, a lot of times. I take that, I use that as an example because this year we've seen and heard of a lot of instances in which things don't look right. And Shane Beamer, thankfully, in press settings and even Marcus Satterfield in press settings, uh, they have been candid enough to explain some of those things, which I think is very helpful. Very helpful because then you don't just get this This sucks and a lot of theories about it. There's some explanations. Luke Doty, I think, Wes, if he's healthy, is going to be the guy going forward for this team. We can probably agree on that, right? Um, he's played two and a half games coming into this year. Now he's played roughly three and a half. He's young. This is a new offense. Are they going to have to look at kind of scaling back from whatever it is they're doing right now? That That's kind of my question. What can they do? We know they need to diversify the run game, like you said, but can they scale back some other things to figure out what is this team the best at, especially with Doty under center, whether it's pre-snap, during the play, whatever it may be. Yeah, figure out what you do. And then go from there. Um, we, we've got a lot, actually, a lot of good questions, a lot of good thoughts. Um, and we're, I see Brian's got, we're not going to spend much of the show at all talking about um, the mask mandate at the stadium. First of all, the, the school, the athletic department, they have no, uh, they have no, like, they, they, ha- they have to listen to the mandate, basically. There's, there's nothing, it's not the school's decision, really. Um, and I don't really, Brian says it's a huge issue for, I, I don't see how walking in a stadium with a mask on is an issue for anyone. If you want to go to the football game, go to the football game. I don't really see how, why it should affect anything. And it's impossible. If, if you're on the other side, it's impossible to enforce it. Anyway, there's going to be 80,000 people there. It's impossible to enforce it. I see it as a minor issue. If it, if an issue at all. So um, if you want to go to the game, go to the game. I don't really see the mass affecting that. So I agree, Big Red, what constitutes taunting? Who knows? Um, if you're on defense, you can taunt more than if you're on offense, apparently. Um, and uh, let, let's, for a moment, let, let's, speaking of that, let's talk about Josh Van, Chris, because we, we spent quite a bit of time talking about Josh um you know, th- really throughout the show, like throughout the year. And we, we talked about, hey, can Josh go from being like a, a reliable number two type receiver to being South Carolina's number one threat? We, we are seeing that before our very eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he, he he still had some bad luck. I mean, think, think about this, the, the slight bobble against ECU that took away the touchdown, the fumble that took away the touchdown. Then this week, you have the taunt, that didn't take away the catch, but lost 15 yards to the end of the catch. And then what Chris was a beautiful, 
uh, grab downfield that the ball apparently, um, apparently to everyone else, this was just a clear, a clear um, review, and clearly the ball hit the ground according to the rules expert that was on there. Um, okay, it may have touched the ground. But uh, t- to me, that's one of those calls. If that's not a home game for Georgia, um, then it's uh, the call stands. We couldn't tell. Like if, if the roles had been reversed, would that call have been overturned, or would they have said the the call on the field stands? We can't tell if it hit the ground or not because it seems like referees use the the sort of indisputable evidence as a crutch when they want to leave a call the same. And then, you know, it's kind of like, okay, did you really see it touch the ground without him having possession? Because that was a great catch, man. I'm not trying to go complete homer, but that was a great catch. No, it was. And, you know, I I had the same opinion. It it looked – it was very close, I thought. Um, To me, it was hard to overturn it because did it look like the ball – you know, shifted position and maybe hit the ground. Yeah, maybe, but maybe it's not supposed to be good enough to overturn that. And so I thought it should have stood just honestly looking at it, but it didn't. So, yeah, some some bad, you know, maybe some bad fortune there on, on a very tough catch to bring in first place. So kudos for the effort. I mean, the taunting, man. Yeah, Here's my thing with the taunting. Pick, pick a policy and then enforce it and enforce it the same way. Because, you know, I've seen, and it's not just this season. I mean, you think back years, even when taunting was a point of emphasis or whatever they use, you know, it, it's still, I've seen cases where guys do all sorts. I mean, there's all in somebody's face, gesturing, whatever, and it's nothing. It just depends, you know. It just and maybe it depends on the team which ref sees it. Pick a policy, stick with it. I don't see what the big deal is about talking to a guy that you just made a great catch on in that environment. I thought it's kind of silly. It's especially silly when there's no, you know, there's just not a lot of consistency with a call like that. There's not, and and it's the same with targeting, man. I mean. Look, and this isn't even like a South Carolina thing. Go, go well beyond South Carolina. It's like, dude, no, no one knows what a target is anymore. No, and no. Um, to me, to me, you got to have. It's like in in basketball, you have like flagrant one, flagrant two. Can, can we sort of let's? I mean, we're gonna kick a guy out of a game because a receiver ducked his head at the last second. Like, um, we we got to continue to. I would say mold these targeting rules to be a little bit more um, fair in, in how they are enforced. But, but man, the taunting, but let's, let's think about this for a second. Did Josh Van stand over the guy? Yes. Is, you know, can, can you get that call if you're Josh Van? Absolutely not. You can't let that happen in that situation, but let's, let's call it for what it is. This is a, this is a senior who has waited for it all to click for four years now. He's in his home state school, by the way, the team that finished second in his recruitment, by the way. And 
He's in a game where South Carolina is fighting to to hang in there. And he's been hearing for the last two years from people like us that South Carolina's receivers outside of Shai Smith last year are just not any good. So he goes up, he makes a play. Did I mean, was it egregious? No. What was was DK as Josh was getting up, still smacking at the ball after the play was over, trying to dislodge the ball? Yes. Who I mean, to me, that play warranted the ref coming over, putting his arm around him, and saying, All right, man, next time is fifteen. Yeah. Chill out. Yeah. You know, and Josh to to his credit, Josh, you know, Josh actually went and put his arm around the ref and looked like he immediately was like, Oh man, I can't believe that happened. He didn't he didn't flip out on the ref. He didn't cuss him out. He went over, he talked, and Beamer, to his credit, grabbed Josh, took him off the field, and talked to him. He didn't rip into him. He grabbed him and he talked to him. So that won't happen again. But man, that that you, you can't it's kind of one of those things. If you're Josh Van, you can't put you can't put the ref in a situation to even be able to make the call. But is it not really hard to fault a kid in the moment, has his competitive juices flowing, just made a massive play, and you just get that ticky-tack with it? Um, to me, it's it's a shame that that it's come to that. Yeah, it, it was a shame that it happened. Should it have happened? No. I think the thing that I, – I was laughing about this the other night, Wes, is that I think it's maybe the difference in whether or not a team win or law, wins or loses because – if they win, that's maybe a little bit of a footnote. Since they lost, people look back at it and say, well, that was that was a reason potentially because it, it was a big play. South Carolina, I think, got to the, the Georgia 48-yard line on that play. Um, now, they had to, they did get the first down, like you said, but they had to back up, and so now they're in Carolina territory. Then ended up having to punt. Maybe if that play stands, there's no flag. You know, you're in, you're in positive Georgia territory. Maybe they keep the job going there. Maybe they get a field goal, or maybe they score a touchdown. I mean, you just never know. So, unfortunate play is evident that Van learned from it immediately, right? Um, but also unfortunate, I think, that it that it had to get called. I, I mean, I really do. But to go back to Josh just himself, yeah, I mean, we, we, we've seen this guy start to become what we thought he could be out of high school, and we only saw small flashes of it freshman year. Sophomore slump really bad, you know, as a, as a sophomore. Last year what wasn't much of a factor, and now, you know, he, he's doing a really nice job. Wes, did you see, did you see, by the way, Will Muschamp talking to some of his players after the game and mentioned to Josh Van playing your best ball after I left or got fired or whatever, and Josh said, well, they're finally getting me the ball. So it was kind of, it was kind of funny. But, you know, J- Josh, I think, entered this year looking for, you know, reason to feel confident. And the, the quote I always go back to is what he said in the preseason. It's good to be counted on, you know. And so they were counting on him this year. And and he's been able to deliver some big plays for him. So good for him. Yeah, he has. Somebody was asking sort of, you know, what happened? Uh, how has it happened? I, I think – um you know, it's something we said in, in the summer, actually, on Gamecock Central, is that Josh has bought into basically the the 
culture change at South Carolina. Josh has been doing not just the things that were, you know, that you sort of have to do. I think Josh has bought into doing all the little things um, to develop as a player. So kudos again to Justin Stepp, the whole South Carolina staff for for getting Josh going because obviously it's needed. And I, I think, Chris, this this gives that group – it should give that group some confidence moving forward, um, especially against defenses that aren't Georgia's, that aren't, um, you know, to the level they are, that these these receivers, uh, you know, can, can go make some plays for you down the field. Jalen Brooks, uh, catch of the year so far for South Carolina, making the uh, um, the Odell Beckham Jr. one-handed reach behind your head grab. I mean, look, looked like Brian Edwards on that play. I mean – that, uh, that was impressive. Now, uh, you know, maybe that's something Jalen can build off of to get his confidence up um, on some of the easier catches because as much as the O-line and the running game has not been what we thought it was, the receivers has, have started to show signs that they can be better than, uh, than we thought they were. Now, um, I, I think, Chris, you look, I, I see the questions, why, you know, why was Jaheim Bell not utilized more? Uh, why did Juju McDowell not get the ball? I think, some, you know, sometimes and we talked about this last week, too. When you get into the flow of a game, some like especially if you're not staying on the field much. It's hard to sort of get you, you have all these great plans, but it's hard to sort of get to all of your plans if you're not able to stay on the football field. You know, so I, I think uh, was there stuff called for Jaheim Bell? I'm sure. Um, you know, Beamer even talked about making sure they have the right guys on the field at running back when, when they make certain calls. There, you know, there was a situation with Juju where they had Juju McDowell in the game for pass pro, and he sort of got blown up. And then I was looking at maybe maybe a couple of these throws where the ball goes to Kevin Harris, and you're trying to get the guy in space. Maybe that's a situation where you want Juju McDowell on the field to, to get him the ball in space because there were a couple of screens that were set up and either the ball didn't get out or um, you know you had it had it go off the running back's hand for the interception. So th- there were some things that were set up that, that didn't quite get there. I mean, I'm we've been driving the Jaheim Bell uh, bus all off season, so yeah, agreed. Get him the football, but sometimes in the flow of a game when you have limited plays and you're either you're either three and out or you're getting explosive plays. So even your your scoring drives aren't long drives um, by number of plays. You just don't get to all that stuff. I do think, Chris, somebody else said it in, in the chat. I think we started to see Kevin Harris maybe start to find a little bit of his rhythm again in the second half. Um, you know, now maybe George is not quite playing with the same intensity then. Maybe they're rotating guys in at that point. But um, I do think that they obviously made a concerted effort this week to try to get Kevin Harris going as opposed to rotating quite as much. So, you know, I, I will be curious to watch 20 this week moving forward and really all the backs. Can, can they start to sort of find that rhythm? I, I, think, um, I think we'll still see, we'll see Marshawn come on as the season progresses as well, um, you know, Zaquandre White, what he did the first two weeks is still very, he's still very obviously a very talented guy. So um, it's just at this point about getting these guys in space. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and, and 
to your point, that yeah, we need to get they need to get the ball to a number of people. I mean, somebody brought up getting a Marion Brown more involved in maybe the deep passing game, getting the ball in his hands. Sure. I mean, need to get Jalen Brooks more involved in the deep passing game. I need to keep Josh Van involved. Nick Muse and Jaheim Bell need to be more involved. You got four backs you can get it to that have all played this year. So but what you have to do is you have to run more than three, four, five plays on a drive. You have to be able to sustain those, you know, more. Um, to your point about Kevin, you know, first start for him, 41 snaps, which was by far uh, the, the highest total that any back has played through the first three games this season. And I'll tell you, dude, he was – there was not a lot of running room, as we know, for Kevin, but he doled out some punishment. I mean, he, he looked good. And, and I think that's what Beamer meant when, when he was talking about the physicality that South Carolina played with. Kevin Harris was a big part of that. You didn't look at it. Did Carolina get whipped at times up front, you know, when, when with all Georgia's defensive line in particular? Yeah. But you didn't – I never looked at the game and said, South Carolina doesn't belong on the field from a physical standpoint. I, I didn't see that. Um, I thought they played physically. And so a lot of the things that Beamer said about being able to walk away from the game and actually be able to take away some positives, people generally don't want to do that. As he said, no moral victories. But you're playing that good of a team. You're a young team. Uh, you're still figuring things out, and you're at a significant talent disadvantage. It is okay to take away some things and say, this part was good. This was bad. This was average. And kind of sort it out that way. And I thought that wasn't just a coaching platitude from Beamer. There there were some good things. Luke Doty was one of them. Um, the physicality, that was another one. There were some things in there. No doubt. And we're going to get into Luke um, actually right now. Uh, but before that, Chris, uh, you want to tell everybody about the uh, buttery soft feel of Dead Soxie? Um, and once uh, once Chris unmutes himself, he's going to tell uh, us all about it. I could have saved it. I could have saved it, but she called it out. I was in I was in process of saving it. So Gamecock Central is partnered with Dead Soxie once again for the 2021 football season. You get 25% off your order at deadsoxy.com. That's D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. Use the promo code COCKY for 25% off your entire order. Any kind of socks you're looking for, men's or women's, College-themed socks, like the Spur line for the Gamecocks, um, boardroom dress socks, athletics, no-shows, men's, women's, whatever you're looking for, go check it out on deadsoxy.com and get 25% off with the promo code COCKY. So, yeah, Luke Doty, kind, kind of thrown thrown into the fire. Um, He's used to that. <laughs> yeah, he is. It's been, a, uh, it's been a part of his career so far, has it not? Um, Brandon says that the O line coach in the hot seat. Guys, we're three we're three games in. I mean, <laughs> I don't I don't think anybody's on any hot there were, seat. There were some calls I did see. I was very much honestly looking forward to the first calls for firings this year, Wes. And yes. there were indeed there have been some. Yes, they are happening. Um, wow. Anyway, so by the way, what what did you think? What did you think the line on the Kentucky game was going to be? Uh, admittedly, I didn't think about it a ton. I, I probably would have said something like Kentucky minus seven, something like that. I, I could, I wouldn't have gone too high on it. 
Yeah. Yeah. So they, it opens at five. I think it's at five and a half, maybe now. I thought this was interesting, Chris, whether, you know, some people don't care about the analytics and all that stuff at all. But um, ESPN FPI, which I always pay attention to, at least because it's a, it's a good guide. Um, it, it basically at the beginning of the year, I remember looking preseason, it had South, it had Kentucky as a relatively clear favorite over South Carolina. Um, and with the input of whatever the heck Kentucky was doing last week against Chattanooga, which was uh, not a pretty game for them at all at home, they actually have South Carolina now as a 56% favorite. So a coin flip, but slightly tilted towards South Carolina. So I, I think that's interesting. We're, I mean, we're going to get into this game all week long, obviously. But as we sit here on Monday, I think this is a fourth quarter football game that somebody is going to have to go make a play or, or make a mistake, and, and that'll be the difference in the game. But a big part of, of why I sort of think you can take some positives away from this past Saturday lies with number four, Luke Doty. I mean, as you know, Chris, I've, I mean, I've been a Luke Doty guy. Uh, for a long time, he outperformed what I thought uh, were realistic expectations for him considering the situation. Not much practice at all last week, playing against that defense, getting hit getting hit in the face um, throughout the game. He kept making some throws, man. Well, you know, we're, Are there always going to be some throws you want back? I know people point to a couple of deep balls. That's a timing thing. Uh, that's something you're going to get with reps, but um, dude, the, just the way he delivered the football, uh, the accuracy, the fact it was a catchable ball, the fact that it, the ball was sort of where only his guy could get it on the deep balls. Um, I think you have to be pretty impressed with Luke, and it's something for him to build off of moving forward. Yeah, it was impressive, and and I think I was kind of half joking about him you know, being used to stepping into these situations. But, I mean, you go think about it, Wes, you know, last season he's bounced back and forth between quarterback and receiver, kind of one foot in, one foot out, and he gets put in midway through a game, right, Um, during a very already very weird year. And then his other two games are against a Georgia team that was was also very good last year. And he actually performed very – South Carolina lost pretty handily but he played quite well in that game when you go back and look at it, whether it's the stat line or just watch it. Uh, and then, the, you know, the Kentucky game that by that point, I mean, goodness. I mean, the season was just, it was just a disaster at that point, right? So now he comes in and, you know, he's the projected starter from spring, summer, preseason, and then he gets hurt. And so he's hurt midway through through August, Wes, and he's basically, basically – missed a month of practice, you know, leading up to leading up to the season and during the season. We know that he he did some stuff leading up to the ECU week. He did more stuff leading up to the Georgia game, but Shane Beamer even said publicly that it was what did he say Thursday before he hopped into live full 11 on 11 work. So you think about that's a lot of practice for a guy that's played two and a half games and in a new offense and all those things. So um you know I, I don't know Wes I mean how much was Luke going to play if, if Zeb Nolan was, was healthy? I don't know if we'll, we'll 
ever know the exact answer to that. But he came in. He looked good running around. Uh, he made some plays, whether it's some deep, you know, the missed deep balls. Yeah, but he hit some. Um, he stepped up in the pocket a few times, got himself out of trouble at times, took some big hits, popped right back up. I think he he's shown that he has arm talent, leg talent, we know. Um, and he's got some moxie and just some some gamer kind of ability to him. And I'm I'm very interested to see him, you know, going forward. Well, he 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 stood in and delivered the football. And you know, how about that play? Somebody just referenced it in the chat. How about that play on third down where he climbed the pocket and delivered an absolute seed on third down? Um, the receiver had a DB right on him, and Luke just put it where he just stuck it in there, got hit. You know, he knew he was – a lot of the dual threat guys struggle with that sort of, I'm going to put myself in harm's way to make a throw. Um, man. That's the play I was thinking of when I when I mentioned him him stepping up. I mean, that was a heck of a throw. Yeah, and he he made um, the shorter, you know, the little like quick out like flat throws where he's just trying to get the ball out on like a third and two. There was a there's one to to Joiner that they picked up a first down on third and short, just getting the ball out quick but accurately with a catchable ball. Um, you know, he was good in that scenario. I think I mean even the throw to the Josh the Josh Van throw we talked about that hit the ground that didn't end up being a catch where he's sort of rolling to one way and throwing back across the other. That, that was an outstanding throw, man. And and he had to throw it a long way too. I, I also think that Doty's wills will play up against most SEC defenses. I think against Georges, you know, we, we even saw that a little bit last year. Um, Now he did, he got loose off the top of my head. Maybe the one time and it got called back for a hold. Do you remember that? It was a third and long, and he took off mm-hmm. down the right sideline, and uh, it got called. It was a, it was the right call. Um, Eric had had grabbed the guy, and so. But I remember against Georgia last year, their speed, you know, was just on a different level than like Missouri when he had played the half the week before against Missouri. He was able to run away from their guys, I feel like, from their front seven. So I think against Kentucky, which is a little bit more of just a human, <laughs> like they're they're not NFL freakazoids up front, that his speed at quarterback will play up and there will be a little bit more in the QB run game that will sort of hit, if you will, whether it's extending a play to throw or just taking off running. I think against the average SEC defense, we'll say, his his running ability will sort of play up, and and that should, in theory, add a different dimension to the offense. Chris, as as sort of pro style as South Carolina wants to be, I'm curious to see how much should they give Luke in designed QB runs and quarterback read runs versus not really calling those, but just letting it happen naturally when his feet have to take over. Yeah. Yeah, that will be. And, you know, how much design run do we see? You know, especially now, I mean, Wes, do do we know, like, do we actually know Luke's true percentage? Like, there's a lot of talk about him being, you know, 100% going into the game, but how does he feel right now? How will he feel throughout this week? Um, I think those are important questions. 
Um, but th- there's no doubt he- he'll add an element to this offense, whether it's something as, as simple, quote unquote, as, you know, just buying an extra second in the pocket when you got somebody coming at you. Again, his speed is going to stand out more against, you know, your more normal, <laughs> you know, defenses that, that they're going to play. And then we know he has the arm talent. So I think it's about, you know, that that can actually help in this figuring out process of the offense, being able to to have that in the back of your mind as a play caller about Luke and his capabilities. Also bearing in mind that you can run him if you, if you feel comfortable with it on some design stuff that may help the running backs get loose because that's an extra offensive player that can very easily carry the football and do some damage for you. Um, but you also bear in mind that he's still a young player. And so just trying to balance all that, how can it change the offense? I think it can, you know, for the better. Big Red says, does quarterback chemistry with the line make a difference or is that more of a deal just with receivers and backs? I, I think it makes a difference, Chris. I mean, I, I think I think experience with your offensive line um, and being comfortable uh, with not not just sort of the speed of your receivers and where they're going to be on the field and all that stuff, but being comfortable with uh, your offensive linemen, how they, how they pick up certain pressures, how they're supposed to pick up pressures, getting them in the right calls up front. Um, all that, all that stuff matters and all that stuff is going to come with time. I mean, we still, I mean, we'll repeat it again. We still all have to remember just how young Luke is. And you had a, you know, he got here, Last spring, but it was, you know, COVID hit. Uh, so it was a COVID offseason. Then he's had, I mean, good grief, man. How, how many how many offensive coordinators and quarterbacks coaches? Had, I mean, Luke Doty, Luke Doty was offered by Kurt Roper. So that, that's how early – that's how early this started. Mm-hmm. So his quarterback – he was offered by Roper – uh, he committed to Dan Warner. He signed with Mike Bobo, and now he's playing for Marcus Satterfield. So uh, you know, there, there's been not that he was, and it would have been more difficult if he was at South Carolina for all those guys, obviously. But point being, still a young quarterback learning a new scheme, and everybody around him is learning this new scheme. So that, that's something I think we have to keep in mind, and that we have to remember. You got anything else for today, man? No, man. I think uh, I don't want to say we're we're tapped out even on Georgia conversation, but a um, little bit of Kentucky we talked about, a lot of Georgia, and of course ready to dive into the Wildcats and the Gamecocks, you know, for the rest of this week for sure. Yeah, we will start to turn the page tomorrow. Beamer, of course, talking at one fifteen. Several players will talk tomorrow as well. And uh, Chris, we will uh, we'll dive into that. I'd imagine tomorrow y'all will be more like 2.30 or so that generally Tuesdays are going to be a little bit later because of the um, the press conferences that, that go on on Tuesday. So appreciate the support. As always, he's Chris. I'm Wes, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average, and those savings add up. Imagine what you could buy in the future. So I used the savings from switching to Progressive 30 years ago to buy tickets to the championship game. You know, between those two teams that didn't exist 30 years ago? Yeah, I'm a big Alaska Palm Trees fan. Which is a team now, in the future? 
So switch to Progressive and save big because those savings can add up in the future. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National annual average insurance savings by new customer surveyed who saved with Progressive in 2020. Potential savings will vary. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.